As the world debates the military response, 19 days since the worst terror attack in Israeli history, its leaders are trying to frame the stakes, today laying bare the brutality in graphic detail. Here's Raf Sanchez. It felt like there couldn't possibly be new horror left to see. No brutality that hadn't already been shared or live streamed. But tonight, with global attention turning to the spiraling death toll in Gaza, Israel's military trying to keep the focus on the massacre that sparked the war, inviting NBC News and other journalists to a screening of raw video from the October 7th Hamas terror attack. I have some sense of what's in this footage, and I've been trying to prepare myself, but I'm still anxious about what we're going to see. For 46 minutes, we sat in stunned silence, watching video filmed by Hamas and filmed by their victims. Much of it had never been seen before. And while Israel's military is not releasing the clips because they're so graphic, they allowed us to describe what we saw, including a terrorist throwing a grenade into a bomb shelter where an Israeli father is shielding his two young sons. The blast kills the father and wounds the little boys. One of them howls, why am I alive? And tells his brother, I think we're going to die. A Hamas gunman stands over them, drinking Coke from their fridge. It's not clear what happened to the boys. I'm sure that you can figure out that they are worse than ISIS, the way they behave. The military released this video from a Hamas dash cam exclusively to NBC News, saying it shows a terrorist using a heavy machine gun to mow down survivors fleeing from the Supernova Music Festival. Because I knew I just have to survive, I just have to run. Millet Ben Haim was among those running for their lives. When I was growing up, there is this movie uh, about the Holocaust. There is this uh, scene that they are uh, running uh, and there is people shooting at them and there is also like bombs on the grounds. And I remember really thinking about this scene because it was so similar. She hid in a bush with friends for hours waiting for rescue. I don't know who I am and, and I feel like a ghost most of the time. Raf, it's a lot to take. Is there a sense this video could be seen eventually by a wider audience? Yeah, Lester, this video has only been shown to journalists so far, but many ordinary Israelis are saying it should be made public for the whole world to see. Thanks for watching. Stay updated about breaking news and top stories on the NBC News app or follow us on social media. Israel's war on Hamas, vengeance or defense? Welcome back to war, more War Mondays here on the Rob Manus Show on Patriot.tv Live and our X-Spaces simulcast. Well, Israel's war against Hamas rages on in the far southern part of Gaza. Calls for a ceasefire continue to be heard loudly, including at the highest levels of the U.S. government. Recently, Christian leaders were invited to the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. to view the footage, some of which you just saw there, from the October 7th massacres. Many of the journalists who've already seen the footage have reported that they've never seen anything like the horrors they say Hamas fighters displayed for all the world to see. Well, a former Foreign Service officer and Deputy Assistant Secretary of Energy was one of those Christian leaders who saw the video, and his overall conclusion is that Israel cannot possibly be fighting a war of vengeance. It's definitely fighting one of self-defense, and the only adequate defense is the total destruction of Hamas, in my opinion. Well, my guest today is that man, Bart Marquis, foreign for, uh, former Foreign Service Officer, former Principal Assistant Deputy Secretary of Energy for International Affairs, an author, I might add, fluent in Arabic, and my friend. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show, Bart. It's been too long. Hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. It's great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you too, sir. Uh, we appreciate you agreeing to spend some time with us. Uh, you know, I saw your article that you read after you saw the videos uh, at the mm -hmm. Israeli embassy, and, and that led me to go, wow, I've got to get him on uh, to talk about uh, what he saw, because you saw all but about four or five minutes of what the original journalist in that clip I opened with uh, saw. Uh, but first of all, let, let me let you identify for the viewing audience uh, how long did you spend in the Middle East, and why are you fluent in Arabic? Well, I was, a, as you say, I was a Foreign Service officer, a U.S. diplomat, and I went to the Middle East. They trained me in Arabic, your tax dollars at work. 
I spent two years learning the language and 10 years in the region. And I have spent another 20 years after that working in and around the region as a businessman, as a, as a uh, senior government official, uh, as, a, uh, as a, uh, a, a, you know, a commercial guy with commercial interests, commercial intelligence interests and so forth. I, I'm familiar with the region. I like Arabs. I, I have lots of Arab friends. I have Palestinian friends. None of my friends are like what the people that we saw in that footage. Um, just because you have an Arab friend, just because you have a Palestinian friend, doesn't mean that they're like the people that you saw in that footage. These are Hamas. They're, they're the, the brigades of the most um, militant part of Hamas, and they are absolute brutes. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the things you addressed right off the bat in your article, Bart, was uh, about whether this footage was doctored or not. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, since I have you, can you talk a little bit about why you know it's not after uh, sure. taking a look at it? Sure. Thanks for asking that. It's that's an important uh, note to make. First, I am I am a trained observer. I've spent a lifetime as a as a trained observer. As a child, a teenager, I read uh, I read a science fiction book, uh, Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, and I was struck by this one character in that book who was who was uh, trained as what they called in the book a fair witness. And and I remember that the 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 illustration was he the the, the guy asked one character asked this woman um, what color is that house on the hill, and she looked up she said well this side of it is white, and and somebody said oh I didn't know she was trained as, as a fair witness and he said yes it's important for me to have her with me a fair witness was somebody who would testify only to what they had seen. They would not. Uh, they would not. She would not assume that the other side of the house was also white. Um, and I decided that was something that I wanted to incorporate into my life. And when I became a diplomat, I got official, you know, formal training in being that sort of a witness, that kind of observer, that kind of reporter. I have friends who, who asked me before I saw the footage. They said, "How are you going to know if it's real or not?" How do you know it's not doctored? Well, they tell you in the in each segment the the footage is broken up into segments of anywhere from three or four to seven or eight minutes each. And they say they tell you they'll give you a list of what you're about to see. And then as you're seeing it, it will say this is dash cam footage from a Hamas terrorist. This is body cam footage. This is CCTV footage from a house and so forth. And it's obvious that what they're saying it is, it's true. You can see the terror on the faces of the Israelis who are running away and trying to hide. You can see the savagery of the, um, of the uh, expressions of the people doing the killing. In some cases, you don't see a savage expression. You see a rather... Um, Come, uh, like an expression like, okay, this is what I came to do and I'm doing it. And in other cases, you see celebration and overwhelming joy on the faces of the terrorists who have just killed somebody or who are in the act of killing somebody. It's um, nobody who has seen the footage, not one single person who has seen it, not journalists, not Hollywood people, not anyone has said I'm not sure that's real. Everyone came away taken to the core, knowing that what they saw was real. Yeah. And, and a lot of these people are like you and me. I mean, I mean, we've been around foreign policy mm -hmm. and national security events uh, for most of our lives, you know. And uh, so uh, uh, and I only point that out to, to say that some of the descriptors that are used by folks like you and me. Uh, that, that have seen a lot of this footage are not descriptors of peop by people that uh, are not pretty uh, uh, pretty uh, dispassionate when they're witnessing uh, these kinds of things. Uh, 
do I have that right? You have that right. You have that exactly right. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to ask you, Bart, since you understand Arabic and, and, and you're the first Arabic speaker that I've been able to talk to that's actually seen the videos, uh, what did you pick up? Uh, I mean, you kind of said a little bit about it with the looks on their faces, but did you pick anything up that would help us understand uh, that uh, these people that have been described as just the, the most evil that are alive today on the planet, uh, what did you pick up from listening to their words uh, beyond the facial expressions and their actions, if anything? Yeah, uh, that yeah, that's firm a- that. But that's what I believe. But I want to talk to somebody that's heard them talk, seen their yeah. actions on these videos. One of the, the there are a couple of the thing, couple of um, conversations that we heard recordings of that were very telling. And and there's a there's a subtext. Uh, you know, there's a what do you call it? A um, uh, subtitle. Uh, that that gives you an English translation, and one of the things I was particularly keen to uh, to uh, determine was whether those subtitles changed or altered or twisted in any way the meaning of uh, of what uh, of the Arabic, and they were exactly accurate. Um, every every subtitle was chillingly accurate, actually, and there was there was a a, a young man, maybe maybe twenty years old he was calling his father and you you could hear him he was swelling with pride and if you didn't know that he was talking about killing human beings you would hear the tone of voice and you'd think oh my gosh this guy has just won some wonderful award he's he's accomplished something great and he's telling his father and what he's telling his father was I have killed 10 Jews today with my bare hands. With my hands, I have killed, I by myself have killed 10 Jews today. And and he was getting a little bit emotional, a little choked up, because it was so important to him that he had killed 10 Jews. And note that he didn't say, I've killed 10 Israelis, I've killed 10 soldiers, I've killed 10 of the opposing force. He killed 10 Jews. And and based on the overall statistics, the likelihood is that every single one of those was a an unarmed civilian. The, it took the Israeli military quite a while to believe that this could really have happened and to respond. They were very slow in responding. And of course, you know, when an armed force is confronts a, a mass of unarmed people, um, it takes a long time for armed responders to to get there and to intervene. And then he he said, please, please put my mother on the phone. He could hear his mother in the background. And he told her and he started to cry when he was telling her and he repeated it. And his mother started crying and started saying, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, praise God, praise God. She was not praising God for his safety in a dangerous operation. She was praising God and crying in joy because he had killed 10 Jews. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not just heartbreaking, but it's chilling. uh, It is. To have a full understanding of exactly what, not just we're dealing with, but what the Israeli people are dealing with, especially, you know, I mean, your heart goes out to them. But, when we get back from the first break here, we'll go over to the Spaces audience and take a question uh, real quick. Uh, it, but uh, one of the things that we want to talk about really is what's going on with UN resolutions, ceasefire talk, and those kind of things. And we're talking with uh, former Foreign Service Officer uh, and uh, government appointee Bart Marquis here on the Rob Manus Show live on Patriot.tv. We'll be right back. is about to shift banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile 
It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 877-547-5743. That's 877-KIRK-PHD. At least 127 people have been killed in Israeli strikes on Gaza in the past 24 hours, bringing the death toll to nearly 29,000 Palestinians and over 68,000 injured since October 7th. According to Gaza's health ministry, the Israeli Defense Forces earlier said it had killed at least 45 Hamas fighters over the past day. Whilst Netanyahu's cabinet adopted a declaration Sunday saying Israel categorically rejects international edicts on a permanent arrangement with the Palestinians. Netanyahu has vowed to continue the offensive until total victory over Hamas and to expand it to Gaza's southernmost town of Rafah, where more than half of the enclave's population of 2.3 million Palestinians has sought refuge from fighting elsewhere. The Director General of the World Health Organization said in a statement posted on X on Sunday that the Nasser Hospital in Gaza's Khan Yunis is out of action following the latest Israeli raid. Welcome back to the Rob Maynard Show live here on Patriot.tv and our x Space simulcast audience. We're talking with former Foreign Service Officer uh, and uh, government official in the Department of Energy, Bart Marquis, today. And Bart, let's go over to our Spaces audience and take a question from them uh, on what we've been talking about in the first segment. Kat and Shell sure. are our hosts over there. Go ahead, guys. Hey, guys. Um, the question's for both of you, and I'm going to preface what I'm going to say with that I support what the colonel said. I think the only way Israel comes out ahead on this is complete destruction of Hamas. My question is this. At the end of the day, where is Israel going to be in the Middle East when they do do this? Because I don't have any doubt that Israel can can execute that plan. So wh what do you think the fallout for Israel is going to be when they do execute that plan? Because I don't think it's going to be great. I still think they should do it. But I just want to know what, what get your take on like what they're going to be facing once they've wiped out Hamas. That's a great question. Go ahead, Bart. Sure. Well, you know, um, let me back up a few years to the um, administration of President Trump. You know that he brought about the the most um, promising peace deal in the Middle East since um, since uh, the the peace deal between Egypt and uh, and Israel way back when uh, the Abraham Accords. And very importantly, all of the countries that signed the Abraham Accords agreements with Israel came out and said, nothing about this conflict changes the agreement that we signed to work toward peace and normalization with Israel. Uh, unlike every other conflict in uh, every other Arab-Israeli conflict in history, this one did not provoke the Arab partners to say, we renounce our recognition of Israel and we condemn the Zionist entity and so forth. They condemn Israel, they condemn IDF uh, attacks, they say, you know, they should be more uh, careful of civilian deaths and so forth. But they also quietly said, we're not giving up on the Abraham Accords. That is profound and it has long lasting effects. And in the face of this, the fact that they are sticking to the Abraham Accords says that the gambit by Hamas to blow up the Abraham Accords and to buy time for Iran to finish developing their nuclear weapons has failed at least on that first on that first goal they Hamas attacked because they saw that the Palestinians were being bypassed in the peace deals with the other Arab countries and they wanted to make themselves relevant again and put themselves front and center and have a veto power over the peace process the other Arab countries said, no, you don't have a veto power. We will be supportive of you because we're all Arabs, but you don't have a veto power over the peace process. And I think there's your answer right there. Yeah, it's, uh, I agree with you, Bart. It, the only other thing I would add is that, uh, uh, that look, uh, 
even the Egyptians are blocking Palestinian refugees from coming across the southern border. Uh, and uh, that's a huge indicator right there. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the Arab nations around Israel, uh, other than the parts that are controlled by Iranian, you know, the Iranian militias and the IRGC command control network, uh, uh, really uh, don't want the Palestinians anywhere near their people and their territory because they're just vile as far as the way their outlook is on life. And, and nothing that they have done, folks, uh, uh, is, uh, is to the betterment of the actual Palestinian people. Uh, but I also think the Arab nations surrounding uh, Israel also know that the majority of the people in Gaza voted for Hamas and would do it again, mm-hmm. wouldn't they, Bar? Yes, they would. They would. That's uh, that was the point. That was why the the uh, Hamas um, terrorists made the videos. Those are campaign ads. Those videos. They're saying, "Look, we killed all these Jews. We humiliated all these Jews. We raped all these Jews. We destroyed them. We are the strong ones. Vote for us." And and it works. And and you said something about the other Arab countries not wanting them. Um, they because they are vile. They have been made vile by the Palestinian leadership as a matter of policy. You have a, you know, a million people in the Gaza Strip who have been made to suffer. And, and you know, you'll, you'll, see, you'll see Arab Americans and, and, and expat Arabs and other Arabs standing up and, and making emotional appeals about the suffering of the Palestinian people. And many of the facts that they cite about Palestinian suffering are real. Palestinians really are suffering, but they are being made to suffer as a matter of policy by, first and foremost, the Palestinian leadership. And I don't mean just Hamas, I mean Fatah and the other factions of the PLO. Uh, it It was Yasser Arafat's policy to keep them confined in refugee camps as much as possible to make their suffering as great as possible because that was how he raised money, billions of dollars from foreign donors. And the successors to Arafat are split and divided, but they're all united on one thing. They must increase the suffering of the Palestinian people because that's how they get money from donor nations, whether they're Arab donors or Europeans or Americans. Biden wants to give these people another billion dollars in the middle of a war. He wants to fund both sides of a war. You know, how does that make sense? But he's doing it because of the blackmail being used by the suffering of the Palestinian people. But that wasn't caused by the Israelis. The Palestinians that live inside Israel that are Israeli Arabs, have good incomes, they have happy families, they, have, they are in a, in a safe environment, they have representation in the parliament, the Knesset. There are, there are Arab members of the Knesset that have participated in forming a government uh, not, not very long ago. Uh, they have more rights than the Palestinians that are in areas run by Palestinian leadership. And that's an important point. And we can come back to your other point after yeah. that, but I wanted to make that point. Yeah, that's a, that is a great point. It, and the reason why I showed this second clip, uh, there's one colonel in there, uh, not a colonel as in Rob Manus, but, uh, but a colonel of, uh, of information that keeps coming up uh, and is why I'm questioning uh, what the Biden administration wants to do vis-a-vis ceasefire and all that. And that is that they keep reporting, the mainstream media does, the numbers coming out of the Gaza Health Ministry part at like 29,000, mm-hmm. I think, showed, uh, uh, according to the Gaza Health Ministry, why on earth would any person in their right mind believe numbers coming out of the Gaza Health Ministry, which is Hamas? Hamas is the government there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Rob, you have to keep in mind they are confirmed by a completely independent entity, the United Nations Relief Works Agency, uh, the, the UNRWA, as they call it. UNRWA has confirmed all those numbers. Well, you know, all the media have been reporting these things as if they were completely true. 
accepted wisdom, uh, received wisdom from the Gaza health ministry, and then they'll say, and these were confirmed by the United Nations. Well, guess what? In the last two weeks, it turns out that UNRWA is Hamas. That UNRWA is dominated by Hamas. Many of the leaders of, of the UN Relief Works Agency, which is the UN presence in all of the Palestinian areas, they are dominated by members of Hamas. Many of them, actually, about a third of them, actually took part in the October massacre. There were, there were um, Palestinian Red Crescent societies, their version of the Red Cross, uh, um, that were supposed to be health workers, medical workers. They were driving ambulances, and those ambulances were actually troop carriers. They were carrying the Hamas attackers on October 7th to the border checkpoint, and they, they, helped, they helped seize Israeli hostages and take them back into Gaza. Um, and those were supposedly independent observers. You cannot trust a single number that comes out. Now, are there high civilian casualties? Undoubtedly. And why? It goes back to what I was saying before, because Hamas uses Palestinian civilians as human shields. They built their, their intelligence data center underneath the UN headquarters. They tunneled under there and the UN says, oh my gosh, I had no idea that was under there. I, I did see people coming and go, I, I didn't know. Well, their own people are back and forth in there. They mm -hmm. built headquarters under hospitals, under kindergartens, under schools. They would fire rockets into Israel from kindergartens, playgrounds, schools, because they know that, that the Israelis pinpoint the origin, the launching point of a rocket, and they destroy that launching point. And so they would launch it from a place full of women and children so that they could say, look, the Israelis are bombing civilian areas. They're doing it all along. So yeah, there are high yeah, civilian casualties. Exactly. And we've seen that where they don't have cooperation in a location like the Christian church that got damaged, and I think a couple mm -hmm. of people uh, unfortunately died, the, the shooters, the rocket shooters, were as close to the building as they could possibly get. And of course, mm -hmm. the Israelis the target because it wasn't a church uh, and that it was a valid target and went ahead and attacked it. Uh, and that makes it even worse because, you know, uh, at least on the targets like the schools and the hospitals, we, you know, they know uh, it's a military target if we're found out and it becomes a military target legally, doesn't it, Bart? Yes, it does. It does. You know more about that than I do. But yes, uh, from a diplomatic standpoint, it becomes a military target. If a military attack is launched from it, it is a military target. Now, American rules of engagement in, in various um, theaters of war have severely restricted American uh, infantry from firing back on, uh, on places. But, by, but under the Geneva Convention and the rules of war, that is a military target. Yeah, well, before we go to the break, one more question, uh, and that is, uh, why is the Biden administration pushing for a ceasefire when they know that the Israeli armed forces and the Israeli government, even the opposition, is, ver is united on this, uh, on this effort to destroy Hamas and remove it from the face of the planet from being able to do this to anybody else, uh, let alone uh, Israeli civilians? I'll try to answer that. I can't think off the top of my head how many words in four or five words. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Those are states that have high, uh, high percentages of Arab American and Muslim American voters in them. And they're doing electoral college math. The, the um, Arab American and Muslim American communities are threatening Biden that if he does not let Hamas crush Israel, if he does not prevent Israel from crushing Hamas, that they will not vote for him in November. They will instruct all of their people to either stay home or to withhold their vote on the presidential line so that he cannot win those states. And those are states where the margin of victory in the uh, election in 2020 
so-called victory, but I won't go down there. That's not our topic for today, was less than 20,000 people. And they have over 100,000 voters, 200,000 voters in those states. That's why Biden is doing that. It's, it's sheer calculating electoral math. And that's all there. That's all it is. And it shows that uh, uh, the, his humanity uh, uh, and his team's uh, part is just at the lowest possible level. If you can't have the humanity to say Israel can defend itself and do what it needs to do, just like the United States did what it needed to do in World War II, uh, that's the only way to solve these kind of problems once the military box is opened up by an enemy. Uh, well, Bart, we've got to take another break. We'll be right back. When we come back, I'm going to get a little touchy subject because I want to talk, show a little clip about the sexual atrocities of the Hamas uh, criminals in the October 7th attack. I'm Rob Manus, Patriot.TV Live. We'll be right back. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Ex-Meta executive created a new documentary revealing Hamas sexual atrocities via interviews with survivors, freed hostages, police officers, and first responders. Former Meta COO Sheryl Sandberg has wrapped up filming in Israel for her groundbreaking documentary titled Screams Before Silence. The film delves into the harrowing sex crimes committed by Hamas terrorists on October 7. Sandberg's documentary promises to shed light on previously undisclosed details of the assaults, unveiling evidence of rape and sexual assaults inflicted on Israeli women and girls. Over the past week, Sandberg has been on location in Israel, filming in the Gaza envelope, including Kibbutz Be'eri and Re'im, the site of the Nova Music Festival. The documentary features interviews with eyewitnesses, freed hostages, Zaka first responders, medical experts and survivors, all providing chilling insights into the traumatic events. Ever since Israel's war with Hamas erupted, Sandberg has been a vocal critic of the terror organization. Through op-eds and speeches, she has vehemently condemned their crimes, declaring that rape can never be a weapon of war. Scheduled for release in April 2024, Screams Before Silence is a collaborative effort with Israel's Castina Communications, renowned for producing the acclaimed film Nova, which spotlighted the Re'i Massacre. And everyone will have to watch this movie. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show at Patriot.tv Live. We've got our X Spaces Live audience up, and we're talking today with uh, my friend Bart Marquis, for, a former Foreign Service Officer uh, and high government official in the Department of Energy and International Affairs. Well, Bart, uh, you know, that that video and that uh, documentary is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable uh, because uh, the folks in this country, in the younger demographic, are all in for Hamas. Uh, mm-hmm. When you listen to the protests, and it's amazing uh, that when you juxtapose these two subjects together, some of the things that you hear, what do you think is driving that? Oh, I think that it's being driven by this leftist um, uh, you know, narrative about uh, oppressor versus victim and they be, they look at the Israelis and say they are the depress they are the oppressors. They're like the white males, the white male patriarchy of uh, of their vision of America. And the Palestinians are people of color, 
and they're the victims, they're the oppressed, and so we're just naturally on the side of the oppressed. And you know, the irony is having people from the LGBTQ community out there um, demonstrating for for uh, Palestine, for Gaza, and they would be they would be shot and hanged from uh, uh, a crane. Their bodies would be hanged from a, 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 a you know a high place in the public square, or they'd be thrown off the roof of a building for being gay or for being uh, part of a community that was not was not um, normative heterosexual in nature. Uh, you see people of color protesting. You know, very interesting little thing about Arabic. When you when the, the Arabic word to describe a black person does not there there is technically you can use you can use the word black to describe a black person but the word that most most arabs most palestinians syrians lebanese use to describe a black person is ab ab means slave uh, and they use it to describe any black person because in their culture in their vocabulary in their in their mindset, a black person is somebody who is meant to be a slave, and and uh, uh, there was kind of a funny uh, mistake. Um, some guy that there's a a word that's uh, um, similar to it um, in Arabic. That, that the word for crown prince is wali al ahad in Arabic. Well, in one country that has a, a, a crown prince, a news presenter was talking about the crown prince who was black, who was the descendant at the time of, uh, of, Sudanese, uh, um, of, of a Sudanese uh, mother going back. And he called him by accident. He called him Wele al um, And he was fired and unhirable, but he said it on live TV because that's such a common expression to use. They don't understand. That's how the young people, they don't understand what it is they're defending. And it's, it's very sad because the people who are being oppressed are the same ones who've been oppressed for thousands of years, and that's the Jews. And finally, Jews around the world have decided we're never going to have another Holocaust. We're never going to have a Warsaw Ghetto. We're never going to be in a position where we absolutely cannot defend ourselves and we can be raped and stripped and humiliated in front of everybody because we don't have even a knife or a gun to defend ourselves. And they are defending themselves and now the world is angry because the Jews are defending themselves. Nobody is calling for a ceasefire in Ukraine. Nobody is telling the Ukrainians to stop killing Russians. The, nobody is telling them it's disproportionate. It's only the Jews that they're picking on. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm calling for the Ukrainians to sue for peace because they're nuts. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're just getting thousands of themselves killed. Uh, yeah, and uh, and I don't, I don't think there's anything anybody's going to be able to do to, except for peace. But uh, why? I mean, I've I've fought in a lot of wars. You've been around a while. Uh, we've been in a lot of countries. Uh, we both have Arab friends, uh, Muslim friends. Uh, that are nothing like this. Why the sexual atrocities, Bart? Help help this audience understand that uh, before we go over to the spaces audience. Okay. Question. Okay. All right. It's and and this is the most difficult part of this. And mercifully, there were seven minutes cut out of our our footage. Our footage was forty one minutes long, and the the part that other people have seen is forty eight minutes. And what they cut out, I'll, I'll give you an example of of something we did see in our showing it showed a it was a, a a bomb shelter and it was filled with with young women and and women up to about the age of 30 and and about a dozen young boys mostly prepubescent or barely pubescent boys um and they were being held there and it showed us that they were being held and and they were terrified and then the footage cut what they what they cut out was the slow, ritual, uh, persistent sexual abuse of each person in that room by I don't know how many terrorists 
um, one and 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 please please um, if you have children listening uh, what I'm about to say is going to be very difficult so please be careful I'm giving you time to to mute it if uh, if you don't want to hear this one image that I did not see but many friends have seen was an 11 year old girl who had been so brutally raped so many times that both of her hips were broken um, they do it they they do this because the, in their minds as one terrorist who was being interrogated by the Israeli defense forces he was captured he said why did you rape them? Why did you rape the women? Why did you rape the boys? And he said to dirty them. We had to dirty them because it dirties the entire community. If we dirty their women, if we dirty their children, um, it was it was a it's a matter of of humiliation and a and a triumph. And it shows a superiority of in their minds of their group over their enemies. And that's why. And, and, and again, it lets them, it, it satisfies the desire of, the, of, the, um, uh, of their family members of the Palestinian people for revenge and for destruction of the Jews. It's, it's amazing, you know, I've heard people say, you know, they want to take us back to the seventh century in the medieval times. And, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was a time when, when all nations and tribes and groups practiced this kind of uh, despicable uh, atrocity. But uh, most of us have become more civilized than that. Uh, but unfortunately, war is a terrible thing, Bart. Well, let's go over to the Spaces audience real quick uh, sure. and uh, take a question. Go ahead, Cat and Shell. I have kind of a little bit more of a statement than a question. Nobody has their hand up, so I'm just going to jump in there. You know the unfortunate part about what he just said, which I knew was pretty much the reasoning behind what they do. I get that, to dirty them, to humiliate um, in their minds. But the sad part about that is, is that <laughs> there's so much censorship that it's unfortunate. Like, do I want to see any of that footage? No, I do not. But do I think that it needs to be out there in the open? So maybe these morons, and I said it, you guys didn't, that are protesting in favor of Hamas, uh, this trans community that thinks that they wouldn't get thrown off the top of a building, yep, I said that too, would actually open their eyes to what is really the true story there. And it's unfortunate that X would turn around and suppress that for us. If we put that out there, they're gonna say we're promoting violence or it's sensitive content, and they would um, they do this thing now where they won't suspend, they'll restrict your uh, reach. So you can't win with it. But I just want to make a statement. I think it's really unfortunate. Do I want that up? Do I want to see that? No. But do I think people need their eyes wide open? 100%. Just wanted mm -hmm. to throw that out there. Uh, good, good point, uh, Bart. I mean, that reminds me of the young uh, German-Israeli uh, influencer young lady that uh, was shown being transported around in the back of a pickup truck with her legs broken and arms mm -hmm. broken. Uh, if you remember that. But that was suppressed. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, pretty rapid uh, by all of the social media and the uh, mainstream media. Yeah, and she show. like, we should. And she, like so many others, they, the people at that, at that rave, at that dance party, they were peace activists. They purposely yeah. held it down where they held it near the border with Gaza because they were making a statement that, that the Palestinians in Gaza were their brothers and sisters and that we should have peace with them. And they were very critical of the Netanyahu government for not being more forward-leaning to make peace. And this goes to what, uh, what Michelle was saying. You, you must, I did not want to see the footage. I did not want to talk about it. I don't like talking about it. But you have to know what, is, what will happen if you drop your guns and if you take down the fence, what will happen, that, what happened on October 7th would happen to every single Israeli in Israel. It would happen to every single Jew in the world if they could get their hands on them, if they could get within shooting distance and they had enough bullets. They would celebrate it. That's what they are trying to do. And, and, and they, they wouldn't stop with Israel. When, when they say, 
from the river to the sea, what they Palestine will be free. What they mean is it will be free of Jews. It, all of the Jews will be destroyed. They will all be killed. They'll all be driven into the sea from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, the entire expanse of the land of Israel. That's their dream, is to kill all of the Jews. How do you sit in the White House or at the State Department making policy and then go to, go to somebody and say, I know that there are millions of people who want to kill you and there are one and a half billion people around the world who will kind of stand behind them either actively or passively to one extent or another but you, you, you know, seven million Jews, Jewish citizens of Israel, you should let down your guard and give them the power of a state, reward them for this atrocity by giving them what they could never achieve through negotiation. What the Palestinians have turned down a two-state solution. Every single time it's been offered to them, they've turned it down. They don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution, and that state being wholly Palestinian. Exactly right. It's uh, it's horrific. It's great tragedy too, but it's all it's also horrific that anybody would align themselves with this philosophy at this point. We have got to take one last break, Bart, and when we come back, we will focus on your policy conclusions and policy recommendations for the United States uh, uh, in the bigger picture from uh, energy perspective and how it relates to the Middle East because we've been there sure. a long time. I'm Rob Manus at Patriot.TV Live. What if this happened to you when you're alone? Or what if it happened here? With MedGuard Alert, you're never alone. You can connect with medical professionals anywhere, anytime. And now MedGuard is introducing our exclusive new CareWatch. If you need help quickly, use it from anywhere to contact medical professionals. No cell phone required. The CareWatch is not only a life-saving medical alert device, it's a revolutionary health monitoring system that checks your blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen saturation, and much more. And here's the best part. If you have Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. The care watch is only available through MedGuard Alert. Call us right now. We have monitoring programs starting as low as a dollar a day. The call is free. Activation is free. Shipping is free. And no contract is required. Remember, with Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. Don't wait. Call us to get your care watch right now. Operators are standing by. Defense Minister Yoav Galan disclosed that over 30 UNRWA employees actively participated in the October 7 massacre, including kidnapping civilians and soldiers, which once again raises serious concerns about the integrity of the UN agency and its role in the region. And Altebi's William Sharon has the details. In a press briefing on Friday, Defense Minister Yoav Galan disclosed new startling information about UNRWA employees in the October 7th massacre. According to Gallant, Israel possesses intelligence indicating that over 30 UNRWA employees actively participated in violent acts, including the kidnapping of civilians and soldiers. This revelation once again raises serious concerns about the integrity of the UN agency and its role in the region. Gallant presented evidence suggesting that 12% of UNRWA's 13,000 employees are linked to the terrorist organization in Gaza, with 1,468 actively involved. Shockingly, these individuals hold seemingly harmless positions within the organization, such as social workers, school counselors, and math teachers. Galan also shared a video captured by security cameras at the Erez crossing on October 7th, showing Palestinian Red Cross and medics aiding a wounded Nukba terrorist. In a separate development, Israeli officials released a video showing a UN relief worker, identified as Fasil al-Muslimi al-Nami, clearly kidnapping a murdered Israeli man during Hamas's October 7th massacre, providing yet again UNRWA's roots in cooperation within Hamas in Gaza. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show on Patriot.tv Live with our X-Spaces simulcast audience. And we're talking today with 
the former principal deputy assistant secretary of energy for international affairs, Bart Marquis, who's also a former foreign service officer, has a lot of experience in the Middle East. Uh, and uh, there was the proof of the video that Mr. Marquis uh, talked about just a few moments ago about the UNRWA employees actually kidnapping Israelis or stealing bodies and taking them back as hostages to Gaza uh, on October 7th uh, of 2023. It's just absolutely horrific, Bart. And that's why I wanted to focus on policy conclusions. Uh, what you're thinking about is as a former State Department diplomat and an energy uh, sector expert in, the, in this part of the world, uh, you know, for the United States, going forward after Israel does what it needs to do, uh, I don't believe that they will cave in to uh, the U.S.'s call or anybody else's call for a ceasefire. At least I hope they don't. Uh, but uh, uh, so after that and moving forward, the United States has been here a long time, you know, stated that Persian oil, Persian Gulf oil flows, vital national defense to the United States at a time when we weren't the world's largest exporter of uh, oil and gas and energy uh, to the rest of the world and where we didn't have things like fracking to make us so uh, like Mr. Trump did in his administration where we became energy independent and we're on the verge of dominance. Uh, so going forward, can we continue to let the Palestinians hold the entire area hostage over uh, what we say is a vital interest that really isn't anymore? No, we can't. And it's not just the Palestinians. It's also it's also uh, Hezbollah. It's also the Houthis in Yemen. It's also the the uh, Iran supported Iraqi militias in Iraq. It's it's there is a an encirclement around Israel, around the uh, the Arabian Peninsula of Iranian influence. And all of this is being driven by money and weapons supplied by Iran. It's no accident that there was peace in the Middle East when Donald Trump was president because he had deprived Iran of their money. He had put massive sanctions on the country. He had put sanctions on any country that, that bought Iranian oil. He forced Iran, the only place Iran could sell their oil was to essentially China and India, and he had to, and they had to sell it at extremely discounted prices. Uh, putting sanctions on them doesn't mean they can't sell; means they can't sell them in legitimate open markets that Western nations participate in, and it means then that they have to sell them at huge discounts, and so they're not getting the revenue from the oil that they would like to get. If you're exporting. 10 million barrels of oil a day, and the price of oil is $100 uh, dollars a barrel, you can do the math and, and uh, figure out how much money they're making every day. But if you drive their price down to $25 or $18 a barrel, and you make it so they can only export three or four million barrels a day, you've, you've significantly cut their income and they have to spend it on domestic priorities instead of military adventurism. That's what we need to do. We need to reimpose sanctions on Iran, secondary sanctions on any nation that, that deals in Iranian oil, and we need to produce more and more oil here in the United States and gas. We need to build the, the LNG export terminals that Joe Biden just uh, uh, just shut down the Calcasieu Pass uh, terminal. He just uh, shut down down in your neck of the woods, Rob. Um, we need to do all of that be because if we are, as you put it, energy dominant, as Trump put it, then we can dictate what happens in the world. And we're not being blown to and fro with, uh, with the winds of, of fortune in the Middle East. We are the ones creating the wind and dictating in which direction it blows. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, putting the maximum pressure campaign back on Iran is a much mm -hmm. more effective approach than, than plinking, you know, empty holes, basically, after we give them a warning uh, that we're coming. Yes. Uh, we're bombing a lot of empty holes, what I call empty holes, you know, where most yeah. of the 
for me is left. Their equipment's left because they know we're coming. Uh, they know we're I mean, coming. It looks good on TV for some things uh, from our propaganda perspective, but if we tell them that we're coming uh, and we're not really set on destroying the capability, well, the, the best way to destroy it isn't through military violence. It's through the maximum pressure campaign. I mean, instead of giving them their $6 billion of money back that we were holding from the original Iranian hostage crisis, I think is where that came from, uh, we, yeah, uh, and we squeeze them back up so they're, they're paralyzed. And the $140 billion in cash that Obama gave them when he was president. I, you know, this is... This is the third Obama presidency, the third term of the Obama presidency, and Joe Biden is doing what Obama tells him to, and Obama has always loved Iran. You're absolutely right. Firing missiles that cost, what, $300,000 each? So you're firing $40 million, $30 million worth of, of missiles to destroy a bunch of cinder block huts in Yemen that they've taken all of their missiles, all of their rockets, all of their ammunition, and all of their bad guys out of, because we told them 10 days before that we were going to do it. We gave them 10 days to move everything, and then we blew up some... Sin and, you know, I can see John Candy um, standing on the sideline uh, saying, blow them up good, <laughs> blow them up real good. That's all we did. We, as you said, we made big holes. We blew up some cinder block shacks. We made big holes in the ground. We spent $30 million with absolutely nothing to show for it. And two days later, the Houthis were back, stopping shipping in the Red Sea all over again. Not to mention, risked our people's lives by, you know, attacking the targets. And, uh, and That's we right. still have people on the ground there that really don't have uh, a serious mission. I don't think they have a mission at all other than to be tripwires and... Uh, and we've cost more lives of young Americans that have volunteered to serve their company, or their country, because of that, Bart. So let's let before we close this out, I want to get your take uh, on, on the United Nations issue. Uh, look, I have long uh, and uh, long campaigned on, even in the political world, uh, a platform of eliminating the United Nations because it's more of an enemy to freedom than it is anything else. And I think this UN. Uh, uh, faction that we saw uh, actually helping Hamas mm -hmm. uh, really does show that. Now you're hearing calls uh, to defund uh, at least that part of it, but uh, where do we take this thing? I, I mean, for all the good intentions back in the day, it really hasn't uh, resulted in any, and I'm just curious to get a diplomat's perspective on that. Well, I'm not... Uh, this. This is my perspective, and uh, a lot of my diplomatic colleagues would not agree with me, but I think one of the greatest moves ever done the, to the UN was done in the first Reagan administration, first term of the Reagan administration. There was a very young guy named Greg Newell. He was an assistant secretary of international organizations, and he led the effort to defund uh, UNESCO because UNESCO was promoting books, lessons, um, curricula, all kinds of teaching materials and artistic materials that were virulently anti-American, anti-capitalist, pro-Soviet, pro-communist. He said, no, we're going to defund it. And it stayed defunded for, I don't know, eight years, 10 years, 12 years. Uh, and, and when UNESCO came back into the good graces of America, they stopped their anti-American activities. I think it's time to do that on a very large scale. And I'm not totally opposed to the idea of, um, of just kicking the UN out and turning uh, that whole building into uh, condos. Maybe they could be, uh, maybe they could be some new Trump towers uh, built there instead uh, of the uh, United Nations. <laughs> maybe put some homeless veterans there. Well, Bart, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been too long. Uh, I want to make you a contributor to the Rob Manus show uh, because uh, we've always enjoyed our conversations. You can find Bart on uh, X Spaces or X at Bart Marquis. Uh, and thank you, sir. I appreciate your help. At B Marquis. At B M A R C O I S. At, at B Marquis. There you go. Well, thanks, Bart. Thank we you, appreciate Rob. it. Uh, God bless you. And uh, tomorrow is Training Tuesday. Christy Chamberlain, author of Rules for Deplorables, will be here. We're talking a lot about a lot of stuff from J6 to artificial intelligence and Grok. 
and what the impacts will be for the American people. I'm Rob Maness on Patriot.tv Live. We'll see you tomorrow.